love. Here he is, my favorite guy. Pompatus of you love. You are the pompatus of love, yes. Okay. So, John Lieber, everybody. Let's give him a warm welcome in his own home place. Thank you, Jay. We, uh, you just gave people another reason to get on their phones to find out what a pompatus of love is now. So I want you to resist your, the temptation to get on your phones. Just turn them off. Your mind's off here. Okay. Hey, today it's Easter, and we're going to kind of go off-road a bit. How many of you have ever uh, watched some of the late-night parody news-type programs, John Stewart's program, stuff like that? I, I, we're we're going to look at a theme. Well, there's one person here that likes John Stewart. Okay. Well, <laughs> two. Okay. It's, it's an acquired taste. Uh, I want to take you into a satire in scripture today, but I want to introduce you to, to satire and parody. So I want to show you some famous company logo parodies. So let's put them up on the screen here. Gillette, we're just going to keep adding more blades. Uh, Chick-fil-A, you always crave it on Sundays, right? Walmart for the middle class. I know it's Target, but it's Walmart for the middle class. I'm just reading the punchline. Thank you. Wow, we'll get it. I'm, all right, I can't, I'm getting heckled in church. It's a tough crowd today. Easter, man, okay. Ben and Jerry's, eat away your feelings. Ikea, we throw in extra parts just to mess with you. Red Lobster, you're here for the cheddar biscuits. Hot Pockets, every bite's a different temperature, right? Okay, I can tell some Hot Pocket eaters here. Hamburger Helper, mom's tired. McDiabetes, oops, <laughs> consider it gone. I have experience with that. Starbucks, we serve you decaf if you're rude. All right. WebMD, convince yourself you have a terminal illness. And here's your favorite YouTube, cat videos. Last but not least, Urban Outfitters, pay money to look homeless. Okay, so believe it or not, Jesus was a master of satire like that. That was poking fun at, you know, companies that are well-known. I want to take you into a story where, where Jesus does something that, that people have done for thousands of years, good communicators, is they've used satire and parody to expose flaws, you know, moral flaws and cultural flaws, and to inspire people to change. And so there's a, last week we, the church traditionally celebrates Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And so we're going to look at that, even though it's not an Easter passage per se, I think it has something to say it's a timely thing. So if you have a Bible with you, I want you to open it to Matthew chapter 21. And one of the questions, <laughs> we'll, we will answer this question, why would anybody follow Jesus? You're going to see in this story why, but it takes a few minutes to get there, so just bear with me. Uh, satire and parody have been a part of, of literature and art and entertainment, gosh, forever. Uh, you can go back into the Greeks and the Romans, uh, up into, you know, European literature, American literature, into the modern era, you know, John Stewart and others have, have made careers out of parody and satire. And Jesus used satire. And it's an, it's an edgy thing to use. And if you read the Gospels, Jesus could, could have a pretty sharp wit. And uh, when you experienced him aiming that wit at you, it could be very uncomfortable. Now, this story we're going to read is 
just a classic example of satire, but it's, and, and we're going to look at how it satirized and challenged the people in that generation, and then we're going to try to apply it to us. So let's see, Matthew 21. If you don't, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, there are paperback Bibles under the chair seats in front of you, and I'm reading from page 685. You're reading one of these. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him the Lord needs them, and he'll send them right away. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, this is from Zechariah, it's an Old Testament prophet, hundreds and hundreds of years before, who said at some point, this is one of those Old Testament predictions about this king God was going to send who was going to rescue the people and he was going to be uh, come with God's authority. In fact, the, the, the prophets hinted it was God himself who was going to come to the Jewish people and finally rescue them in a way that was like what he did for them when they were rescued from Egypt, but it was greater because what he was going to do for them, he would then come and do for the whole world. And so they were pretty geared up for the coming of this person that was called the Messiah. And so Zechariah says, back to that passage, Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. He didn't sit on two donkeys, if you were wondering. Did he sit on like both of them? No. He sat on the cloaks. Good grammar here. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This may seem a little peculiar. I'll explain what that's about if you don't know. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed them shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. And the word Hosanna is a kind of a transliteration. It means save us. So it's like a cry to God, save us, help us. Hosanna to the son of David. And that was another title. Uh, the Messiah was going to be the son of King David, who was the greatest general and the greatest military leader and the greatest ruler of Israel's history. That maybe you could argue his son Solomon was greater, but David was a, a warrior. And so they were saying, hey, the warrior's coming, the guy we've been waiting for. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is another uh, quote from a psalm that, that was anticipating the Messiah. Because when you come in God's name, meaning you come with his authority and his power. So whoever was going to show up that was going to help him would have to be very powerful. And the psalmist and other prophets, they all saw that God was going to give this person unique authority, like nobody ever had or ever will have. And again, they end the crowd, uh, Matthew records them saying, Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, we'll stop there. Uh, Jesus' actions were a, they were a satirical, they were a planned satirical event. He was trying to get people's attention by doing something really unusual. And they certainly didn't expect this. His disciples didn't expect it, and the people didn't. Because they thought the Messiah was going to come in and, and kick rear end, so to speak. I was going to say another word, but, it's, but you know what I mean. And as, as Jesus did this, he was doing something very subtle. And let me, let me explain part of the background of this. So when triumphant kings and generals entered capitals after a battle, there was four things that 
characterized their entry into a city when they they fought a war and defeated an enemy and they came back into the city to a celebration that the people would come and they would put branches on the ground and, and, and their cloaks and it was a sign of respect and it was a way of saying, you know, you've proven that you are, you know, the, the, the biggest guy and the toughest and the best and, and we want you to rule over us. And so, they, you know, putting their cloaks on the ground was a symbolic way of saying, we surrender and yield to you. We will be your loyal citizens. And, and the people would line the streets and they would just celebrate as they came in so that the king, but the king or the general would come into the city and they would find the biggest, strongest horse that they could find. And they would deck it out in armor and the king would, you know, be in his royal robes and his, just looking bad. And behind him would be all of the soldiers in the army, the, the victorious army. And then behind them in, in, uh, would be in chains all the defeated soldiers that they hadn't killed. And then behind them would be the spoils of war that they would bring into the city and they would, they would share with their, their constituents. So it was a pretty exciting moment whenever a king came in. And, and, but the, trust me, you can go back in historical records over and over and over what everyone remembered was the king that came in and the horse he rode on. And it was just a, a dramatic thing. It was, it was a show of power and force. And the king was like the point of this. Even though he hadn't been out in battle, you know, that's what kings do. They kind of stay back and other guys shed their blood. Then they jump in the front and say, yeah, look what I did. Well, all the soldiers are behind him. It's, it's a very dramatic thing. So Jesus comes into town and, uh, in a little different way. And the Jewish people were looking for this kind of king. Because in their minds, even though they read these Old Testament passages that, that spelled out this king was going to be powerful, but he was going to be different. And he certainly was going to be different than what the, the rulers of the world around them displayed. They, they were just going to be a completely different kind of king. So Jesus deliberately chose to enter the city on a donkey, not on a great horse. And he was saying to them, I am your true king, because he knew well this passage in Zechariah that said the king's going to come into town on a donkey. So he was going to ride in on a horse, even though that's what everyone expected. And actually, that's what everyone wanted. That's part of the, what Jesus was challenging, this value system that had become entrenched, not just in the world, but in Israel. That there was something really twisted that had gotten into their mindset that Jesus was coming to, to expose and, and, then, and to challenge them to, to reject it and embrace something different. So he came on a donkey, which was a symbol of weakness. It was a symbol of weakness, not strength. He came with all these people following him who were like riffraff. They were prostitutes and tax collectors and, and blind people that he had, he had healed just before this story when he was coming out of Jericho, which was the town he left to come into Jerusalem. He healed two blind men who had been beggars, who still had their beggar clothes. And they were just ecstatic that Jesus had, had uh, rescued them from poverty and helplessness and indigence. And they were part of the crowd. So you can imagine, this is not a mighty army. Jesus is riding a donkey. All these people are behind him. And what he was bringing to share with them was the kingdom of God. He wasn't bringing money and riches. So he meant this to, to expose something. He meant for this to expose their value system, which was flawed and broken. And it was part of the problem. It was part of what ruins, you know, any, any culture, any society that has a value system that, 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 prizes power in the way that everybody does 
will always end up with a messed up community. And so the Romans saw power, every, and everybody was, had bought into this. Don't just think it was like the bad people. The Romans saw power as the means of bringing peace. And so they, they, they did usher in, and you know, historians will tell you, from, I don't know, 30 B.C. or so, when Caesar Augustus defeated Mark Anthony, to 200 to 250 A.D., depending on the historian you're speaking to or reading, Rome had a, a, the longest reported period of peace where there wasn't civil war everywhere because the Romans just conquered everybody and they garrisoned their soldiers everywhere and they just pacified people by force. And so they thought force is the answer. Evil is in the world. Force is what squashes it. Just power. Boom. Well, the problem was that idea, uh, it's not that, that there isn't a, a place for power for the use of force, but it doesn't solve the real problem of evil in the world. It doesn't. It can restrain it, but it can't transform it. And so the Jews, all the people that were following Jesus and all the people in the city that came out, they looked at Jesus and they thought also, because they said, Hosanna to the son of David. You're the son of David. We want you to be the kind of king we want. We don't care what your agenda is. Get rid of your agenda and buy into ours. We want someone who will be a military ruler. And they were, they were not bashful about it. Hosanna to the son of David. They kept naming him titles and, and declaring his praise and titles that were about that use of power and force. And so the religious leaders were looking for that, and Jesus wasn't that, and that's part of why they rejected him amongst a number of things. And then last of all, even Jesus' disciples wanted that kind of ruler. His followers, remember, well, you, if you were reading Matthew, just up uh, to right before this chapter, two of his disciples came up and said, when you come into your kingdom and you defeat you know, all the enemies of, of God's people, and you're on your throne in Jerusalem, can we sit on your right and left? They wanted it too. There wasn't anybody in this, this scene here that we read that didn't think that power was the answer to everything. And Jesus was riding on this donkey, the anti-king in their minds, but it's like they didn't see it. And so this satire was, Jesus was just saying right out, he said, listen, unjust systems are a problem, but the evil in unjust systems is not the fundamental problem that we have to solve in the world. And, you know, if you read The, the Lord of the Rings, uh, Tolkien uh, has two of the characters, I forget, talk about how uh, Sauron had created this mighty empire, then it had been defeated, and he said what evil does is evil just fades back for a while and then reemerges again in a different form. So systems, if we crush one bad system, evil just sinks into the groundwater, so to speak, moves over here, and then reemerges in another corrupt form. And so Jesus wasn't going to come and play that game, that whack of evil, corrupt system game. Not that we don't have to address it, but he knew the real problem was it was in the hearts of those people. The people that he was coming to encounter, the problem was not somewhere else. It was in them, all of them. It was in the Romans. It was in the Jewish leaders. It was in the Jewish people, the humble people that he loved so much. It was in his disciples. Evil is not out there. And what everybody had sort of as a, a base assumption was, if we could just get enough power to defeat the people who are the real troublemakers, then we can fix this thing. This could be a good deal. The world could work the right way. And literally, if you read their dialogues that Jesus had with people, and, and 
historical accounts of the way people thought then, that's exactly what they thought. And it's sort of, isn't it sort of a human thing at all times and all places that we all find somebody to scapegoat? It happens in marriages. It happens in families. It happens in communities. It happens on every scale you can think of. And Jesus came, and this riding in on a donkey was his way of saying, you're all wrong. Completely missed. He came to say, fundamentally, Israel, you have a spiritual problem. You've willfully rejected God's goodwill for your lives. And so selfishness has just grown in you. It's made you manipulative, made you corrupt. It's, it's alienated you from each other, and it's alienated you from God. And Jesus said, that's what I came to address. So all the people thought, you know, it's somebody else's thing. And the problem was, if you read this story carefully and, and you keep reading past it, which we're not going to today, what's going to surprise you is nobody saw what they were doing. Because this is what human pride does. This is what our pride does. All of us have this issue with pride. And pride blinds us. Pride blinds us to what's going on in our lives and where the real problem is. And it isn't that there, there isn't a problem out there. But we maximize the problem out there and we minimize the problem in here. It's just, it's just completely the human experience through all time for that, that to take place. That's going on in your life right now. It's going on in mine. So Jesus came riding on a donkey saying, in effect, I'm not coming to judge the bad people. I'm coming to bear the judgment for the bad people who are messing everything up, which is he had said it explicitly over and over and over. And a good communicator says it in as many possible ways as they can to bring the point home. So he was saying to them over and over, I am going to be the sacrifice for your failures and your sins so you can be set free, so you can find real freedom. Because if I, if I just come and, and defeat Rome and and take their power away from you, all the evil that's in your heart will just fill that vacuum. And some other form and manifestation of evil will emerge. And so I'm going to do something that begins to strike at the very root of evil systems, which is in the hearts of the individuals that, that corrupt those systems. Because there's nothing wrong with the system. It's the people that inhabit it, that twist it and misuse it. So he said, just a, a, a few verses before this, he said, the Son of Man, which was him, the Messiah, he wasn't going to come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And that word ransom was the price that was paid to liberate a slave. It was very expensive. Slaves were, you know, not cheap. And so Jesus kept saying, I'm going to come, and the way that you're all going to be freed is not by power, it's by weakness. The donkey, another symbol of that. I'm coming and I'm emptying myself out, and by becoming weak in your place and doing what you won't do, I'm going to offer you freedom in a way that you could never experience it except for through me. So he was willing to become weak, become foolish, but nobody got it. Nobody figured it out. Nobody saw it in this scene. In fact, what ultimately proved Jesus' point that the problem wasn't the system, the problem was the people, was all these people that were saying, Hosanna, the son of David, and celebrating him a couple of days later, when Jesus has been arrested, and he's been beaten, and he's been tried, and Pilate is presenting to the people, and he says, I have a custom to let someone off on the Passover, uh, just you know, to honor your celebration. So here's what we're going to do. We've got this man Barabbas. 
who has been arrested. He's murdered people, and he was uh, involved in an insurrection against Rome, which we all always crush mercilessly. Or we can let off Jesus, who you say is your king and who I find no fault with. I want to let him off. Who do you want to let off? And they go, let us have Barabbas. But isn't Jesus your king? They go, we have no king but Caesar. Crucify him, crucify him. Really? It was just, it was, it was as perfect an illustration of what of the point Jesus made when he's riding that donkey, that the problem is in the heart of people. It also shows you, you know, if, if, you, if, if you're ever a person who's hunting for popularity and you want to be one of those people who get your name in lights and in the news, uh, this is how you often end up. Because today's celebrity is slammed tomorrow. But why? Because people are fickle. We are fickle. And Jesus was a perfect example of how fickle people be, why he came, and what, doing what he was doing. This is the whole heart of what Easter is about. So the only people that follow Jesus, you want to know who follows Jesus? It doesn't make any sense to follow Jesus if you understand what he was saying unless you get it. What does it mean to get it? It means you finally come to terms with the fact the problem is, and that Jesus is the one who can deal with the problem that's in your heart and, and, and no matter of, of counseling, no matter of uh, coming to church, no matter of you know, moral revolutions and resolutions that you might make can deliver you from the power of what is going on inside you, what's been set loose. So Jesus came along and he said, hey, I'm willing to take all that mess on myself. I'm the only person that can do it. When I die, the power of it will be broken in the life of anyone that wants to follow me. And he had an example when he came into town of all those people behind him whose lives had been changed because of their encounters with him. And here's what one man says about Jesus, that he was the humblest person who maybe ever lived, but he was not modest. He was humble in the way he treated people, children and women and outsiders and strangers and, and people from other communities and, and bad people and good people. He was phenomenally hum- humble and tenderhearted, but he kept pointing people to who he was and saying, whatever you need, I have it. It comes in me. Follow me. Come to me. He didn't point them to a religious ritual. He didn't point them to a holy place. He didn't point them to a, a, a set of prescribed rules and, and a philosophy of life. Those things aren't bad, but he's, those things point to him. They all, every religious system that ever exists he is the fulfillment of all of them, just like he was the fulfillment of the whole Jewish city. He's, he's what everyone's looking for. He's what we're looking for. And all those people coming behind him had been touched by him, and his uniqueness was seen in their faces and their lives, but they still had that stuff inside them. And no one saw that the, the battle that he was going to fight was to go to the cross. That's where the battle was. It was outside the city where he was, because the, the battle when kings would fight, it was always outside the city. They fight the army out there. And the army that Jesus fought was evil And when he hung on the cross and died. And then he rose again to show that he actually could deliver on the promises that he makes. That was what the resurrection was about. God was saying, if you follow Jesus, the power that raised from, from the dead will, will be released in your life and you will change. You don't change overnight and become this the best example of yourself possible in 10 minutes doesn't work that way. But over time, your life begins to change in a way that could never happen any other way except for Jesus. So here's how it's relevant to us. It's really simple. We still ha- have the same. We've not progressed past where they were. I could give you 10,000 examples, literally, of how we today 
Even all of us in this room constantly are tempted to scapegoat other people and say they're the problem. And if we could just solve that problem with them, it's always them, us and them. It doesn't matter what your politics are. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what philosophy of life. There's this us and them mentality that's in us. And when you start realizing, like Jesus said, the problem is a spiritual problem. The problem is in each of us. Here, I'll give you, I'll give, just give you two examples. Almost every day on news aggregates of whatever variety you read, you'll see articles. And depending on whether it's conservative, right or left-weaning, Certain articles appear on this to talk about the problem, right? And so uh, one of the problems that comes up on, uh, I read both sides, uh, there's a regular problem. Some illegal immigrant will commit a crime, and you'll find out that this illegal immigrant has been deported and committed crimes, and there's just a revolving door, and you just go, oh my gosh, this is what's wrong with our country. All of them are ruining our country, right? And then we forget, oh my gosh, you know, about 10 years ago, we had this thing called the recession. And all these people in the highest levels of finance gamed our broken system and made off with billions of dollars. And only one guy ever went to prison for maybe the biggest fraud that's ever happened in our country. One person, a guy named Kareem, of course, he would be a foreigner, an Egyptian, spent 30 months in prison, and he, was, he did something illegal. He worked for Credit Suisse, and, and he, you know, gamed the system, and he got caught. And literally thousands of other people who did what he did never got in any trouble at all. And you go, well, but corporations had to pay the people, that this corporations had to pay billions of dollars in penalties. Yeah, you know who the who paid the billions of dollars of penalties? You and me. The shareholders paid it, not the executives who committed all the stuff. And now, many of them, some of them lost their jobs, but for the most part, it was people way down the food chain that were, that were punished for this stuff. Those people got away with it. And we're so quick to say, and, and it's wrong for an illegal immigrant to commit crime after crime after crime and just being involved in a revolving door. But isn't it wrong for white-collar crime to go on and these people to, to be back in their jobs making millions of dollars a year without paying any consequences for what they did? And then multiple administrations, both Democratic and Republican, were complicit in the conditions that allowed that to happen. And then the Obama administration, which a lot of people really respected, they didn't prosecute anybody. They said, we tried to. Eric Holder said, oh, it's hard to do this. Hard to prosecute these people and hard to bring it to trial. I'm thinking the federal government can prosecute about anything. And all these administrations have these people working in them. And it's it, we scapegoat all the wrong people. But the truth is, I could pick out white-collar crime on the most local level. I mean, the crime is, the point is, it's all in us, all of us. Pastors run off with their secretaries. Teachers molest their kids. Parents molest their kids and neglect their kids. I mean, it's just everywhere. And, and, but the problem is we're, we're tempted to dodge the responsibility of seeing the role we play in it, and we can't go to someone else. Well, Jesus came, and this, this little kind of a goofy picture of him riding on a donkey, it could have been the most powerful satire to awaken the consciences of those people, but their pride kept them from the opportunity that presented them. Because Jesus said when he came into town, that donkey, it says he came to Jerusalem and he wept over the city because he knew 
they were going to reject him. He knew they weren't going to get it. Their pride would, was not going to allow them to face their own responsibility. They just weren't willing to, to own it. And his heart was broken because then he saw, because he's God in the flesh, he saw down the line and saw the consequences that they would pay because they refused God's offer of mercy and love. He, he wanted to start changing things. He didn't want them to in, end up on a collision course with Rome in 70 AD and have their city leveled and and. Children crushed by rocks and their lives just completely destroyed. He never wanted that to happen, but they rejected him and they chose, we choose being the masters of our own fate. And it broke his heart because he could see what was going to happen. So, you know, this picture, what, what it comes down to us is Jesus rides on a donkey, metaphorically, and looks foolish and weak and, and moves towards each of us. Just like he came to that city, he does that with us all the time. And be honest with you, you know, who, who, would, who wants to follow Jesus? Who would be willing to follow Jesus? Only people that really get it. And it doesn't mean we don't have to say something is wrong, that there's, some, there's a moral flaw. We can point out what's wrong, but we also need to spend way more time pointing out and identifying what's wrong in us. Because if, if we're not doing that, we're not following Jesus. We're not following the guy that rides on a little donkey. We're we're following a value system where might and power rule, and, we, and we've seen throughout history what that does. And Jesus invites us, like this is Easter, he invites us to an awakening, to a new beginning that starts with following him. He says, what I did blows away the power of evil in your life. If you'll embrace me, but you have to embrace weakness. You have to embrace being willing to look foolish. The, 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 the Savior you're following was willing to look stupid. He was willing to, to be thought utterly a fool. Because his disciples, when he, here's what it says, uh, Jesus found a donkey and sat on it in, in the Gospel of John. And it says, at first his disciples didn't understand all this. It was only after Jesus died, he was glorified, that they began to realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things. And just past that, it says, the Pharisees saw all the crowds coming and following Jesus. And they said, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And really the whole world hadn't, but it was just a shallow response. But Jesus, on that way, he comes to you. He, he comes to you every day. In, in, in these foolish sort of get-ups, he comes to you in the form of weakness and says, if you'll embrace weakness and surrender yourself to me, a power will enter you that will change your life. And you'll end up being able to live your life the way I did. But it's, it's a choice. You embrace weakness. You embrace the pain that comes with that. Or you choose power. And you may put off pain for now, but pain will inevitably catch up with you. And so followers of Jesus are people who've just come to terms with that. You have to come to terms with it. Say, that's what this is about. Jesus is trying to get us to see something that will really liberate us. So this picture carries that. So let me ask you this. Um, it's hard to see ourselves in this light because it, 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 it feels like, wow, it, it's like you reject who I am. And that's not true. Jesus is never asking you to reject who you are. He has to just accept the fact that he, like that song we sang, we're beloved children of God. But when we choose to go our own way, we wreck our lives. And his love is shown by coming to us, inviting us to follow him as he rides that donkey and looks foolish, looks weak. But when we do, we, we follow him to the cross and we let go of our lives and die with him there. And, and in a sense, every day we do it over and over and over and over. But we start at some point 
And the power of that death that he died for you is released in your life. And then this resurrection power. I had a guy tell me this week, who, who a couple of weeks ago, I, I prayed with him and he asked Christ into his life. And we had lunch this week. And he told me, he didn't, I could see it on his face. He just said, I can't tell you how different things are in my life. He said, like, I used to, I, I would come to church, didn't know it. I didn't get anything out of it. I'd read the Bible, didn't make any sense. You guys talk about this stuff. And, and I knew you, there, there was, you were experiencing something I wasn't. He said, wow, like, it's inside, like, I feel, he had this, like, kind of giddy look on his face, and he's an average professional guy, but it was, he experienced what I'm describing right now. He experienced what Jesus can do when you embrace weakness, own your stuff. So I want to ask you, Jesus did something for you, and in in this story, the only person that got it was the donkey. You realize that? The only person in this story that got it was the donkey. The donkey had never been ridden on by anyone, and you just think for a second, if you're going to get an unbroken wild animal to sit on in a crowd, you might normally want to rethink that. Jesus said, I want you to go find a donkey that no one's ridden on. It's not broken. In fact, a little donkey. And then we're going to go through a, a, a yelling, screaming crowd, and I'm going to ride on it. Jesus, there, there's no account of Jesus being thrown from the donkey. The donkey recognized through, and you're going to follow Jesus at, the bottom line is, he's inviting you to follow him for who he is. That ultimately, a relationship with God is not just, well, God, you give me what I want, and then if you don't give me what I want, I'm not going to follow Jesus. Anymore. This donkey didn't have to be broken when Jesus got on its back. Because this donkey, like all of creation, recognizes it. And you can say, in a sense, there is, like there are between animals and their owners, there's, there's often a bond of affection. And the picture of Jesus we have in here is, is calculated to, to win our affection in our hearts. And that what Jesus did for you, he did out of love. And so he asks you to follow him out of love, not out of to get what you want. I mean, it, it's true that we do that on, on some level, but he wants us to follow him because of who he is. Well, we have this picture of him, this portrait of Jesus that of this amazing person. And why we can follow him with real passion when we surrender our lives to him because we, as we begin to get to know him, as we begin to talk to him, interact with him, and he speaks to us, we find out he's totally worth everything we have, everything that we are. So, you know, it's Easter. I don't know how many of you have ever said yes to Jesus, but I don't know if there's a better day to say yes to or at least to think about than, than Easter. So, you know, before we close, I just want to ask you to just close your eyes for a minute and imagine yourself, if you could, with me, you're in this crowd of people, and you hear the story of Jesus, the one you've heard about. Maybe you actually heard him before. You've, maybe he healed your cousin, and you're in this crowd in Jerusalem, and, and it's an, you hear this excitement and this noise, and, and it, it just thrills you to a certain degree, and you run out to see what's going on, and you hear people talking about who it is and Jesus, and there's this moment now, as you understand what's going on, we're the realization of what's really happening hits you, and Jesus is saying, in, in essence to you, will you welcome me? I'm your true king. I've come to lay down my life for you. I haven't come to judge other people. I've come to really set you free and to bring the blessings that, all the blessings that God has into your life. And don't be put off by me riding a donkey. You will follow me and embrace me and my weakness as a way of life. The blessing of God will flow into your life. And I just want to ask you, you know, maybe some of you here saw yourself in that kind of a situation. You'd feel certain considerations go through your mind. Wow, I'm really drawn to that. That sounds like something I've been looking for my whole life. But 
You look at, around you and there's friends and family and people and, and you know, you wonder, what will they think? Will they think I'm a fool? Are they going to make fun of me? And when you wonder, I think that's a good question to ask yourself because it's likely that you're going to find that not everybody's excited about you being a follower of Jesus. But the question you have to ask is, is there any other way to follow him than to embrace weakness, admit that I'm the problem? And does it matter what those people think ultimately? And you may think, but what about all the other things I, I know I like to do, but that, you know, that's not what God has for my life. You wrestle with that. Well, Jesus says, if you're willing to let go of that stuff, whether you can do it on your own or not, doesn't matter. He will come and give you power to begin to leave those things behind. But you have to be willing to say yes to him and, and leave behind whatever he asks. And it, it, it's not like you know everything that that means, but you have to be willing to say yes. Follow him and get in that crowd of people behind him and follow King who rides on a donkey. And as you walk behind him, the power of his life just begins to ripple back into your life. And if you continued to follow him, you would see him go through hours and days that led up to the cross. And then you would see him on the cross suffering and dying for you. And then a couple of days later, you would hear the stories that he raised and you'd come to find it was all true. And that, that even death couldn't defeat and that he defeated death for you. So I want to ask you today, just to do something. It's a simple thing. Jesus got on that donkey and rode into town and looked foolish for you. He did it for you out of love. Jesus came into that town and loved all those people. The very people he knew would soon they'll crucify him and they would beat him, and reject him and betray him. And he would suffer and die. Went through all that, knowing all of it out of love. And I just want to ask you for a moment, you know, our heads are bowed here and eyes are closed. And you want to say yes and you want to get into that group of people that are following that Savior who rides on a donkey, where you are, just, or you want to, you want to renew your commitment, stand up where you are just for a moment, just say, I want to follow you, I want to embrace my weakness, I want to let go of whatever you want, because I want to follow you, I think you're worth it, I think you're worth everything I have, everything I am, everything I ever will be, join that crowd, following that, that king who rides on a little donkey, Lord, as, as some of us are, are standing for the first time, recommitting our life to you, we, we ask that your kingdom comes through the Holy Spirit, would begin to break into our lives in a fresh way, that Jesus, we would begin to experience your love for us, and the love that you have for us would just begin to be like a, a, a well springing up inside us, like a, like a spring of water, and it would begin to refresh our hearts and lives, and it would begin to Fill us that we could love other people the way you love us. Help us become part of this in our families, in our neighborhoods, where we work, in our community, in our city, in the world. Thank you for Easter that we gathered to celebrate today. We just we want to honor you, Jesus. You've made all this possible. We ask as we leave today, Lord, that we could leave with a sense of expanded imagination of the possibilities of what life could be like if we race your week, that your power could be released. That that creative power to reconcile and to heal, to inspire new, new ways of living and working and being family and community and being a, a people, they would begin to flood us. And Lord, we don't want to apologize for asking for your blessing because we know you promised it. We just ask that your